The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. If ever there were an incentive to repent of sin and believe in Christ, it is this. How the unbeliever needs to stop and think of the significance of these words. His household is under the curse of God. In worldly terms, he may have a prosperous, thriving household. But he must realise that God can take away his material well-being whenever he wishes. Or, which is just as effective, the Lord could take away a man's enjoyment of his well-being. Furthermore, the non-believer must realise that whatever his prosperity in earthly terms, it is only very temporary in relation to eternity. Each person must soon meet his creator and render an account. The point being made here is that man is never really secure apart from God. One of the great tragedies of the last 18 months is the way in the midst of a health crisis, people have tried to make themselves secure apart from God. And they will never succeed. Uh, They have trusted in science to make them secure. But it will not work. Man is never secure apart from God, either in earthly terms or in eternal terms. Now our Lord once spoke a parable, of which we read in Luke 12. Luke 12, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. So here is a prosperous farmer who thought that he was secure, who thought that he was going to take early retirement and lead the good life. But his trust in his earthly prosperity miserably failed him. He would not live to enjoy his early retirement. In Psalm 37 and verse 35, we read this. 
I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Again, we are being taught there in Psalm 37 that the security of the unbelieving in their independence from God is very short-lived. God can suddenly remove them either from their enjoyments or even from this world. He can deal with them in ways they never imagined. The day of judgment, of course, will prove that all the men of this world have been putting their trust in things which cannot really make them secure. Uh, Because as the Apostle Paul tells us, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2, The day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall in no wise escape. So when those who reject God are are enjoying their prosperity and think that they've managed to create security for themselves, then suddenly it will all evaporate. And this is why our Lord said in Matthew 6 and verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth consume, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the Lord goes on, Matthew 6, 21. For where thy treasure is, there will thy heart be. Those who have their hearts set on the service of the Lord have eternal blessings in store for them which infinitely outweigh in value the temporary treasures that the men of this world enjoy. And so uh, Paul, speaking to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 17, says this, Charge them that are rich in this present world, that they be not high-minded, nor have their hopes set on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So men must look beyond this world and the things of this world. They must focus upon the time to come, upon eternity. And they must realise what we are being told in our text here, this verse 33 of Proverbs 3. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. And so we are being taught that the curse of God can come upon men in this life. 
as well as on the great last day, because God controls all the earthly circumstances of every one of us. And so that's the first half of verse 33. The curse of the Lord is in the the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. But then the second half of the verse we are told, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. This again applies both to this world and to the world to come. The believer in Christ will know blessings upon his earthly habitation, upon the material aspects of his present life. You see, if a man gives priority to God rather than to the material, God will then look after the material. Our Lord taught this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 25. Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, neither gather into barns, Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Now the believer uh, is not promising, uh, is not being promised here great riches and great luxury. But he is being promised necessary material provision for him from the hand of the Lord. If he seeks God and his righteousness as his priority. So it is a plain promise of scripture that the Lord watches over the material needs of those who are his. And he can bless with prosperity if he so wishes or he just may bless uh, with a sufficiency. But whichever it is, the Lord is watching over and protecting his own people. Now, again, uh, if we look at Psalm 37, as we've already done, Psalm 37, uh, and various verses there, verse 18, for example, the Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and we're told they shall not be ashamed in the time of evil, And in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. Such as be blessed of God shall inherit the earth. They that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The Lord upholdeth the righteous with his hand. I have been young and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. So then verse 25 of Psalm 37, uh, David personally testifies to God's protection of him and the righteous generally in a material way. 
And he states there in that psalm that he has never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed, his children, begging bread. He blesseth the habitation of the just. If a man honours Jesus Christ, his household is blessed. What a wonderful promise. Psalm 23, verse 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Even in danger of death from his enemies, David took heart from this truth that God blesseth the habitation of the just. Even if we live in a very humble abode, isn't it wonderful to realise that the Lord will bless that abode if we honour him? Nevertheless, the corresponding, contrasting truth must also be asserted, which we had in the beginning of the verse. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. And this, of course, is what the world doesn't realise. They think that as they ignore God, everything's going to go fine for them, as long as they're skillful enough in managing their affairs. But no, they are under God's curse even the most outwardly nice and polite non-believer is under the curse of God he might be very well educated might be very intelligent but he's under the curse of God and so those who ignore their maker risk material earthly judgments coming upon them as well as of course the ultimate judgment now in Zechariah chapter 5 and verse 4 we read these words which are very pertinent to what we are speaking of Zechariah chapter 5 and verse 4 God says, I will cause the curse to go forth, and it shall enter into the house of the thief, and into the house of him that sweareth falsely by my name. And it shall abide in the midst of the house, and shall consume it with the timber thereof, and the stones thereof. So there in Zechariah 5, God's curse is referred to as a consuming rot in the very fabric of a house. The reference may be both literal and metaphorical. As far as Old Testament Israel was concerned in the time of Zechariah, God will remove them from the very homes in which they live unless they repent. When they had returned from captivity in Babylon, they had built for themselves fine houses. 
and they had neglected the rebuilding of the temple. Let them therefore not now think that they shall have unfettered enjoyment of their newly built homes as they forget about God. Zechariah says, the thief will not be able to enjoy any lasting security in his ill-gotten gains. For God's curse will be upon him as well. Today, those who reject the one true God should realise that he has all kinds of ways of unsettling the earthly securities in which they trust. You see, man needs to be weaned from setting all his happiness in the things of this temporary world. Those who carry on in sin, thinking that they are answerable to no one, should heed the warning given here. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. And then verse 34. Solomon writes, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. Again, notice the stark contrast between the two halves of the verse. There are many who scorn the gospel of Christ. They think it's quite beneath them. As we were setting up in Axbridge uh, last Friday, a man came up to us and he said, Oh no, not again. Not more of your claptrap. You see, people think that they are wise and sophisticated as they reject God. They pride themselves that they have a progressive outlook in contrast to the narrow-minded Christianity of a bygone era. People out there, including many young people, sad to say, they look down on Bible-believing Christians. They think we're a relic from the past, and they think we're prejudiced and bigoted and all the rest of it. There are many who commit sin with no fear of the consequences. But the Bible says to all such, as we read here in verse 34, surely he scorneth the scorners. Those who scorn the one true faith of Jesus Christ will be scorned by Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, verse 7. Galatians 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. <clears throat> For he that soweth unto his own flesh <coughs> shall of the flesh reap 
destruction. So if a man lives according to the flesh, according to the dictates of his fallen nature, if he does, well, it must be right because I feel it's right. If he lives on that basis, then he will reap the consequences. God is not mocked. Psalm 2, verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. God is not mocked. The Apostle Peter tells us, 2 Peter 3, verse 3. 2 Peter 3, verse 3. There shall come in the last days scoffers or scorners, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that the world that once was being overflowed with water perished. You see, Peter is explaining there, and this has been a problem throughout history for many, many centuries. Non-believers forget what God has already done in human history to those who defy him. They forget that God once flooded the whole earth in his anger. This happened 1,656 years after the creation. And so we're thinking around 2,500 years BC, the whole earth was flooded as the judgment of God. Why is it you think the world loves to reduce that historical reality to an amusing story about lots of cuddly animals crowding into a tiny boat that's too small to contain them? Because that is how people normally think of Noah's Ark. An amusing children's story about animals. But it was historical reality. God judged the whole earth. And only eight human beings were saved in the midst of that judgment. No wonder the world wants to dismiss the book of Genesis as a collection of fables. Because they dare not face up to the reality of what it teaches. It teaches he scorneth the scorners. Peter is reminding his readers that those who mock God will reap the consequences. The Lord laugheth at the wicked man for he seeth that his day is coming. Psalm 37 again. Now if we go back to chapter 1 here, uh, Proverbs 1 verse 
22. Uh, we again have a reference to scorning. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity and the scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge? You see, this is a warning. It is a warning to those who keep on scorning, scoffing, mocking. Their day of recompense will come. Verse 26, Proverbs chapter 1. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. People today are so confident in their unbelief and rejection of God. It's so tragic, and we find this week after week, having conversations with large numbers of young people, that they have no fear about mocking what the Bible teaches. No fear at all. It's all one big laugh to them. But God is not mocked. Surely he scorneth the scorners. So we encourage people to consider that their confidence in rejecting Jesus Christ is both groundless and highly dangerous. Today's scorners are going to be tomorrow's trembling wretches. Listen to how the Apostle John describes God coming in judgment. This could be in time, and it can of course refer to the end of time. Revelation 6, verse 15. Revelation 6, 15. Kings of the earth and the princes and the chief captains and the rich and the strong and every bondman and free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they say to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath is come and who is able to stand? So people there are trembling wretches, having been so confident in their rejection of God. Proverbs 22, verse 8. He that soweth iniquity shall reap calamity. Now the glad tidings of the Christian message are that this calamity is avoidable. Men need not endure the coming calamity. Because we see that verse 34 here of Proverbs 3 has two halves. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. He giveth grace unto the lowly. Men need 
to be lowly. As we read in James 4 and verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall exalt you. Those who confess their sin and seek mercy in Christ shall be wonderfully exalted. They shall be received into fellowship with God as his adopted sons. Those who humble themselves before the Lord are the ones who are truly wise. And then we read in verse 35 here. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Note again the contrast. Glory on the one hand, shame on the other hand. God is gracious and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. No matter how rebellious men have been, the Lord will be merciful to those who humble themselves before him. But on the day of judgment, those who have not humbled themselves, the sophisticated non-believer will be covered in shame at his foolishness. So, in these final three verses of uh, Proverbs 3, we have been presented with a stark contrast. And this contrast is the gospel. Verse 33, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. The seemingly prosperous wicked are never really secure, either in earthly or eternal terms. God will bring them down when he thinks fit. Those who put their trust in the things of the world, ignoring God, will find those earthbound things hopelessly failing them. How short-lived is the groundless security of the man without Christ. He is under God's curse, both now and eternally, unless he repents. God has all kinds of ways of unsettling the earthly securities in which men put their trust. And it's so tragic in the last 18 months to see society putting its trust in scientists instead of turning to the Lord. The wicked... And that means all the unrepentant. All men are sinners, of course. But those who do not repent are liable both to earthly judgments and to the ultimate eternal judgment. Unless they come to Christ for mercy. God blesseth the habitation of the just. 
See the great contrast with the, the first half of the verse. The just are those who have humbled themselves before God. They are made legally righteous in God's sight. And they become inherently righteousness by the new life within them. So the believer in Christ will know God's blessing upon his earthly habitation. His everyday circumstances. And a life of eternal happiness is the climax of that blessing. But even before that, God watches over the material needs of the man who honours him. Look at the contrast in verse 34. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. There are many who scorn the gospel of Christ, but God is not mocked. He will always, as it were, have the last laugh. Today's scorners will be tomorrow's trembling wretches. In contrast to that, God gives grace to the lowly. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall exalt you. And then look at the contrast in verse 35. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Contrast. These words apply to this life, but ultimately apply to the great last day when Christ returns. The wise are those who have turned from sin and believed in Christ. The fools are those who think they do not need the Saviour. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. So the Christian gospel presents men with this stark contrast. Glory or shame, which is it? to be glory or shame. Now our task is to present to the people of our day the realities of this contrast. Glory or shame. Eternal glory or eternal shame. As Moses once challenged the people of Israel I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. And this is what we must tell those around us. It's either glory or shame. Which are you going to choose? Oh, man.